Welcome back to the New Money Review podcast. I'm Paul Amory, editor of New Money Review. Whoever dominates the world's energy markets rules global politics. Coal fueled the expansion of the British Empire in the 19th century. Oil helped the US dominate after World War II. Now we're entering a more turbulent period. The climate crisis is upon us all, meaning we have to slow and even cut greenhouse gas emissions. This year's Russia-Ukraine war has added, only added to the geopolitical tensions. As we race to replace oil, gas and coal with renewable energy technologies, it's China that will dominate both energy and money during the next century, says John Bolas, my guest on the latest New Money Review podcast. Bolas is an academic at Turkey's Kadir Has University, where he researches how energy, especially oil, has shaped global politics. Listen in to this podcast to hear more. You can support the New Money Review podcast using Patreon. To do so, click on the link in the right margin of our homepage, newmoneyreview.com. Every donation will help me grow the podcast and manage the running costs of the site. John, welcome to the New Money Review podcast. Could you start by telling listeners a bit about yourself and your area of work? Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I am based in Istanbul. I'm an energy uh, expert. I am a researcher and lecturer at Qatar Haas University's Center for Energy and Sustainable Development here in Istanbul. Uh, my background is academic. Uh, I got my doctorate at Georgetown University, uh, where I studied uh, the history of Middle East oil transportation, the politics and economics of that and have been working in, you know, around energy since. Great. So the, the, I think it's fair to say that the world is experiencing another energy shock with the Russia-Ukraine war, the jump in oil and gas prices we've seen over the last year. Uh, I know you've spent a lot of your career looking at what happened in the earlier oil price shock of the 60s and 70s. What are the differences and similarities between then and now from a kind of global perspective? Uh, that's that's uh, that's a good, good good question. Good way to frame it because the two periods. Uh, I think let's start with the seventies. Uh, you know, really, this was the peak of the oil era. You know, you're coming off of really after World War II, everyone starts embracing oil. Oil from the Middle East starts flowing in massive amounts to really kind of help Europe and Japan rebuild kind of the whole global economy rebuilt around oil. Uh, and of course, the United States was kind of the dominant power, uh, certainly the dominant energy power. Uh, immediately after the war, you have the Soviets kind of coming online in, in, in greater force later. But coming to the 70s, I mean, the, this two decade period of kind of the 50s and 60s was this golden era of, of, of oil. Uh, and, you know, by the end of even, it's kind of Gaddafi in 69, 70, who begins to, to, to kind of threaten the United, uh, the United States, but the British companies as well, kind of the whole Western control over oil in that region, which, uh, you know, was so cheap, uh, that oil and that control was, 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 was holistic. And so, uh, you know, it really was an oil crisis then. Um, and, and, and by, you know, by 1970, 71, it was clear that the United States, that was kind of their, their peak of oil production came in 71. Um, and so you have from that, you know, of course, you have a wave of nationalizations. And then we all know about the, 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 the uh, Arab-Israeli war in 73 that caused oil prices to spike for the first time. Uh, and then later in the decade with the Iranian revolution and the kind of uh, supply crisis that, that emerged out of that. Um, so, you know, it, it, 
that that period spawned, interestingly, also uh, investments in uh, renewable energy, um, more looking at natural gas, more looking at even renewables then. Uh, you know, the world nuclear, I should also mention, uh, was very, very much embraced by, you know, particularly France, let's say, uh, many of the European countries and some Asian countries. So, you know, it, it, it was it was an oil crisis. Um, so today, you know, it's a it, it's obviously much more uh, much more going on than, than oil, let's say. Uh, you have uh, oil. Oil is kind of the least worrisome of the Russia-Ukraine uh, factors in terms of. And you're saying that the um, compared to the 70s oil crisis, what's going on now is is a bit less about oil and more about what more about gas or more about geopolitics. What's you know what what were you what was the point there? Yeah, I mean, you know, with the, with the earlier crisis, as I was kind of. Establishing with the United States kind of being this hegemonic energy power uh, today, that's not the case. Um, you know, you have uh, obviously Russia is right up there as a, a major producer. The Saudis uh, are huge producers. They were not that way in the 70s. Um, and so oil is much more disparate and oil is still the kind of paymaster of uh, the energy world and the, the global economy. Uh, so. Uh, that's that's more disparate. And of course, so many nationalizations then took place throughout that the 70s. So, you know, oil, actually what Western oil companies control now is minuscule. It's less than 10% of reserves uh, in right. the world. Whereas before that period, it was, you know, I, I don't have a figure off the top of my head, but uh, probably in the 70s or something like that. Um, right. So, okay, you have Russia coming on and, and all these nationalized oil producers uh, you have, of course, China, and that's the big kind of geopolitical question uh, today. Uh, and in terms of energy, China is uh, the, the the world leader in renewable energy, and uh, in, in, in nuclear. Uh, just in terms of their ap- absolute production, uh, both at home and their ability to export, you know, at economies of scale, these technologies. Um, so, you know. Broadly, what I what I see playing out in the world, and 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 from my studies, I've I've looked a lot at the transition from coal to oil as well. Uh, that occurred, you know, basically to, the two world wars were kind of that period where that transition really, really, really kicked in, and that was obviously a very volatile time geopolitically, right? Again, I think we're entering because the the geopolitical volatility that we're now experiencing with, say, the rise of Russia again and uh, of course, China, it, that is related to the energy transition and these, you know, geopolitical uh, competitions uh, for, for global power, global economic power, these such things uh, is, is related in that regard. So, so China wants to see a, you know, they want, they want the clean energy actually to, to win out because they're, they're so dependent on, on imports the uh, United States is a mixed bag. They still want oil to be the dominant source, though. Um, but of course, there's private sector interests and you know climate concerns that kind of push against that. So uh, it's a bit different. And of course, all the oil producers want the oil world, uh, an oil-dominated energy system, to continue. Right, uh, so, you, John. So but, let me yeah. just stop you there for a second. Are, are you saying that the Russia-Ukraine crisis? in kind of big picture terms, in historical terms, is to do with the switch from hydrocarbons to renewable sources of energy? I, I would not say that, actually. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't think, I mean, from my personal view, you know, Putin, Russia want 
want oil to continue and natural gas hydrocarbons to, to be the dominant sources uh, as they still are. Um, what they're doing there is, I think, you know, obviously in the longer term, self-defeating in that regard with that objective. Uh, in the short term, it, it's, a, it's quite a lever to, to, to pull uh, to, to have influence uh, politically, you know, with okay. the West and their consuming markets and these kinds of things. I'd like to come back to that conflict uh, in, in a minute. But um, first of all, I wanted to ask you how dependent the global prosperity of the last 200 years, you know, the rise in economic growth uh, or the overall economic growth, the rise in the global population, how dependent has that been on the easy access to hydrocarbons? I, I, you know, I'm biased. I've studied this field. I, I think it's tremendously related. Um, uh, if you look, I think you, you, you pinpointed with the demographic rise, um, also per capita GDP rise over this period. Uh, you really can map that with, uh, with the rise of coal in the 19th century and then, and then oil in the 20th century. Uh, there's also a clear line with, say, British Empire and coal and American Empire and oil. Um, and, 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 and this is because hydrocarbons, you know, before then we were, we were basically using uh, biofuels, uh, human labor, but, you know, some, some, some kind of some dams, some, you know, the, the, the amount of energy that we just can dig out of the ground, uh, you know, the, the, the gain there economically was just astounding. Um, and so that is why, and, you know, and oil is, is probably three, four times more valuable in that regard, just in terms of its energy uh, density and, and, and the, the cost to, 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 to extract it and then use it. Uh, obviously, it's totally, it's completely facilitated, um, you know, a, a kind of a new waves of globalization, you know, transporting goods all over the world, um, building our cities, all our products, I mean, everything in our homes, you know, they're, they're oil petrochemical, uh, petrochemicals inside them. Uh, it, it's hard to overstate how important hydrocarbons have been to Okay, so an obvious follow-up question is then, um, you know, what happens now? We've obviously got uh, another uh, spike in hydrocarbon prices. We've got the global warming uh, problem, which is pushing people to try and cut back very drastically on hydrocarbon usage anyway. Does it, does it follow that we're looking at a period of reduced prosperity or even no growth uh, and maybe even population shrinkage for the next few decades or in the next century? I I, I think that's that's that is what's going to happen. Yeah, right. population shrinkage, economic uh, growth, just the, the growth dynamic that that whole paradigm is 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 just it's unsustainable. Um, uh, given what you said with climate, but just just all the demands, and if it's not that the, we're we're going to run out of these resources, it's that um, you know we're just going to have all these problems associated with them, and uh, you know yeah, I, I don't see how. Um, how we can maintain this pace <laughs> that we have over the last century or two. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm the editor of New Money Review, and this is the New Money Review podcast. Now, I, you know, what you're saying is making me think immediately about the implications for financial markets, for money. We've obviously had a huge growth of, of debt that's gone along with the economic growth. Uh, if, if the growth is not going to be there anymore in, 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 you know, in economic output, a lot of debt is going to become unserviceable. I mean, that's that's quite a turbulent picture probably uh, ahead of us I, I think it's gonna be very turbulent and very volatile uh, 
because we want to get off of hydrocarbons, we're making these plays to, for instance, the Russia-Ukraine war, okay? But that uh, that is causing countries to burn more coal now. Uh, you can't just... It, it, you can't just change the energy system overnight. It requires too much investment. Uh, you know, yes, renewables, solar and wind are both cheaper even than coal uh, at this point. But, uh, you know, that that requires, you know, to, to number one, get over the inertia of kind of the hydrocarbon lobbies and, and, and just our economy being dependent on these. Uh, and, and then two, having, having people willing to invest uh, and, and say, OK, this the demand for these energies is going to be there down the road. Um, that's also true on the hydrocarbon side. They're 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 panicky about what, you know. Sh- yes, Europe clearly wants more gas, non-Russian gas at the moment. But how, how are they? How do you how do you convince a company in Europe uh, to invest there, or any company to invest in Europe uh, in a way that uh, they're sure that the demand will be there? I, I think for gas it will be, uh, but certainly for oil that that. Uh, that prospect is is daunting. Um, you know, when you know Europeans, I, I credit them. They're the, you know, they're really trying to lead the world out. Of, you know, in terms of climate and, and going green. Um, but it's it's uh, it, it, these periods. They're going to be spikes um, where there are just going to be shortages uh, because hydrocarbon companies are not investing in new projects uh, because of the, of the uncertain future. Right. So there's a capacity. Uh, looming capacity problem, as well as the, you know, I, I guess what Putin is doing is holding Europe to ransom in a very effective way. It's a very, you know, that's a very difficult challenge to address for the for the Western European countries consuming their hydrocarbons. It is, it is. I mean, at the end of the day, as I alluded to earlier, that he, I think this move will be self-defeating. You know, it, it really is forcing Europe to move move away. Uh, yeah. and, and those investments, you know, and, and, and this transition is not going to happen through the private sector. Uh, you know, the governments have to have to push it. They have to incentivize it. Um, and, you know, given that this is a geopolitical issue with Ukraine, um, a security issue uh, that, uh, you know, this this is going to push these investments more. So, uh, you know, I, I think we're at an inflection point uh, to some extent, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen quickly, if that, if that makes sense. Uh, okay, so um, I, I want to go back to money for a second. So um, one uh, one of the things that happened uh, at the beginning of the first oil crisis, or just before the first oil crisis, was that, that they, you know there was a rising inflation problem in in you know the world, I suppose, but but in particular in the U.S., where the U.S. was spending a lot of money to, to finance the Vietnam War, and eventually uh, in 1971, President Nixon broke the link between the dollar and gold. So from that point onwards, there was no convertibility from dollars into gold, which had been the, the policy for the whole of the post-Second World War period. And then that kind of started the inflation that we then saw in the 1970s. Um, what, you know, what, what parallels do you think there are you know, between that time and, and what's happening now? I mean, is, we're obviously, we've stayed in a floating money regime ever since 1971. It's 50 years. It's been a time of great financial market instability sometimes. Um, you know, how, from a, from your perspective, how do you think this is all going to end? Are we going to end with a, a, attempts in the world to kind of relink money to some form of commodity or is that period just kind of gone forever? I, I tend to think it's gone forever. I think, uh, 
financially, I, I think that first period was, it's just really about the uh, US dollar. And, you know, with oil, uh, United States was the largest producer uh, up until the 70s. And it was when, you know, at that point, you know, the, the Nixon administration, whomever makes these decisions, um, decided, you know, look, we're going to start having to pay dollars. Before the situation was other countries had to hold dollars. They had to, they had to they had save their dollars to buy the oil. Uh, but as U.S. production starts declining, you know, they can see the dollars. They're, they're going to have to just keep spending dollars to, to, to go out in the world uh, to, to buy oil. So that, that, that flip. Um, and, and, and since they've just been trying to maintain, I think, you know, the, the, the dominance of the dollar, right? Especially in the last decade, you see that they've been using sanctions uh, as a way to, you know, much more heavily to kind of defend the dollar uh, and to defend, you know, their, their oil markets. Uh, the United States, as your reader, uh, listeners must know, you know, has once again become the largest producer in the world. Um, so they've been taking out markets, Iran, Venezuela, also Libya to an extent, uh, through sanctions, you know, and that and that creates more room on the global market for oil. So, in terms of money, to get back more to uh, what you're, what you're asking, uh, you know, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, how what kind of financial system comes? I think the the dominance of the dollar is uh, it's not going to last forever, and I think these sanctions have weakened. Um, we can that obviously China and Russia, you know, are very keen to end dollar dominance. And once the oil era does transition, this also links with what I'm saying between the, the competition between China and, and the United States. Um, you know, again, why they want clean energy and, and different energies. Uh, I'm not trying to give China a total pass here. I mean, they're, you know, from a climate standpoint, of course, their uh, coal usage is, 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 uh, probably, you know, the worst, uh, the worst uh, uh, influence on, on global global warming at this point, um, but uh, you know the energy and the money go hand in hand, and so more you're going to have a multi energy system. It's going to be more disparate. It's not going to be dominated by oil. So to the extent that the payments in those systems, and I, I would add too with renewables, uh, things are much more uh, let's say landlocked. Uh, because it's it's green, it's electricity. They're landlines; you can't transport it by tanker. Yeah. So, you know that facilitates bilateral agreements. Uh, China has, you know, they have a cryptocurrency. I don't know how it's doing, but they, you know, they're they're trying to do deals with that uh, with its neighbors. You know, to export uh, power. Um, this is the new uh, the digital currency that they're introducing. Yeah, I think I yeah. think it was a couple of years ago they introduced it. I don't know if it's actually it's it's, yeah, it's been it's, it's been going through pilot programs. So they they launched it I think officially at the Olympics, uh, the Winter Olympics in February. So uh, you know, right around the start of the Russia Ukraine war. So that's I mean, and a lot of people who I follow who you know very well informed about this, they think this is a very big deal indeed, and 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 uh, you know, it may not happen immediately, but this is something China is rather like its infrastructure belt and road initiative. It's something that China is introducing. With a very long-term perspective to to challenge uh, dollar dominance. Yeah, and then and then you know the importing countries uh, or who buy their manufacturing technologies uh, can then buy buy more goods from China this way. You know, yeah. it, it, there is a logic there. Yeah, can I can I ask you more generally about sanctions because uh, you know the sanctions have been the Western world's response to what Russia has been doing for the last two months. Um, 
but they have holes in, don't they? Because um, sanctions extend only so far, and and the you know the, the banks that that finance the the or the get that allow the gas trades between Russia and um, Western Europe to to carry on have not been those banks have not been sanctioned because basically they, they don't dare to touch the you know they can't they can't turn off the gas overnight. So I mean, what do you think about sanctions as a policy? You know, they've been in place for some between the United States and some countries for for decades, but they haven't really had the desired effect. One could say in terms of altering the policies of the countries concerned. You know, is that a, is that a is that a weapon that has is losing its uh, impact? Yeah, and, and I think to, to the, it is losing its impact. It's been overused, uh, especially recently. Uh, I think that countries they the more you sanction, the more you know this, the more the, the more people lose faith in the U.S. dollar, um, and you know, okay, sanctions tend to just make the people poorer. Now, you know, it's very high profile that we're sanctioning in the West. Uh, you know, oligarchs in in Russia. Okay, fine. They they lose some too, but at the end of the day, they they just put pressure more on you know the overall population. And I think, you know, I'm here in, in Turkey, and I've kind of gotten a, a new appreciation of this a bit. But I think, you know, I read art, art, arguments in in the Western press. You know, if oil is under forty dollars a barrel, you know, Russia's budget won't make its budget, and then you know, what's going to happen then? We kind of have that Western mindset that the people are going to rise up and, you know, initiate democratic revolution uh, along these lines. That pain is going to push out people from the top. But uh, that just, the the, the, the the dynamics politically are different in, in other yeah. parts of the world. And, you know, they, they are inflicted with pain, the people, and they take it. Um, and, you know, I... I you know they don't have the guns, so what are, what are they yeah. going to do about it, really? Uh, yeah. And and it might be even the same in the West if if the role was reversed. So you know it, it's it's I think we over kind of uh, idealize what sanctions will do, um, and uh, of course the flip side is we don't no one wants to go get in a, a shooting war <laughs> either. Yes. Essentially, and these things are are uh, so in that sense I like them. <laughs> um, uh, they're politically con- more convenient. Yeah, I mean, what are the alternatives from if if people want to? You mentioned earlier the the growth of kind of bilateral agreements between countries. Um, we're arguably, you know, now past the peak of the globalization trend. Uh, we've seen you know trade barriers being erected in some parts of the world because of the current fuel and food shortages. I mean, if sanctions weren't in place, what what you know what 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 other policies do you think might follow, or is it just kind of a general autarky that we could be facing? I, that, that's that's what I see. Uh, I think the world is deglobalizing. Uh, COVID obviously accelerated that, and um, I, I, I don't I don't see what you really can do. Uh, you know, it, it, except that. And again, I, I give Europe and, and the United States market. Of course, people all want to sell into, but the, the, the at the end of the day, the market the consumer has the power uh, to make decisions about what they buy, right? And, you know, Europe is setting higher standards for, you know, for instance, they're, they're, they're asking countries that import hydrocarbons to make them carbon neutral. Uh, that's new legislation going on. Uh, so to the extent that you know, Europe can kind of set high standards for the goods that they import, um, that will perhaps 
put pressure on countries that need to feed those markets. Um, other than that, um, you know, I, I'm all for war and uh, peace. You know, I don't, I don't want the, the, you know, any kind of military solution to me is, 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 uh, you know, uh, obviously there reaches a point when that's necessary, but, um, I don't think we're nearly there yet. And so I don't have, I don't have another, you know, if I was in Washington, I wouldn't have any bread ideas for them. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of bleak, uh, immediate picture with the, you know, the, the demands we're seeing for, you know, increased weaponization of the conflict in, uh, in, in Ukraine, uh, you know, on both sides mm-hmm. and, and the, the, the divide seems to be widening. Um, uh, I guess that's a very similar picture to what we've seen in parts of the Middle East during the last decade where you know, individual countries have just been flattened because of a, interests of the the bigger powers that are on the two sides of the conflict absolutely absolutely yeah i agree with that Let, let's talk about maybe a, a, a hopefully a more positive topic to end i mean we've, we've there's a lot of interest in renewable energy and, and 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 you know solutions for the global warming problem um and a lot of countries are investing heavily in, in this area now and you know what do you what do you think for example about the prospects for you know Carbon capture technology as a way of addressing um, the, the, you know, the greenhouse, gra- greenhouse gas concentrations around the world is this a is this a really viable uh, solution to the global warming problem? Uh, the, yeah, it, it's 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 a good question. There, it, it, it obviously imposes an added cost on private companies that don't want to bear that. Uh, so again governments have to have to kind of mandate it um and uh, i i'm torn i think that we we should we should try to do as much of it as we can uh for the next two decades let's say because we're not going to move off of oil or or, or natural gas for even much longer i mean really i think these fuels are going to be with us till the 2060s 2070s at least and um you know, to, to kind of facilitate that climate problem, I think I think it's it's one one part of the solution. It's not it's not going to solve everything. Uh, they're not going to build machines that kind of suck carbon out of the air. I mean, uh, you know, there there are pilots like that, but um, I, I'm I'm very dubious of, of them. Uh, I think it's in the interest of the oil producers that they embrace it uh, if they want to extend extend oil's run. Uh, I would also add hydrogen to this mix. I think that yeah. that's been kind of a hot, hot uh, topic recently uh, in, in the G, G7 meeting in, uh, in 2020. They really made a push for that. Uh, and, and there are investments being made in Germany, Japan uh, and other parts of the world, um, you know, to, to cleanly use um, uh, hydrocarbons and or, or renewable technologies to use uh, hydrogen as a, as a fuel. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think the world needs to embrace nuclear energy again. Uh, I think that's just a clear, um, you know, our hangups about it are real, but I think overinflated by dramatic events, uh, calamity, calamitous events that, uh, you know, compared to the carbon in the air, the death toll and, and environmental damage uh, are not even remotely comparable uh, to how we're using hydrocarbons today with, with nuclear. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of nuclear. Uh, and, and it's gotta be a mix, you know, and, and, and wherever there are market opportunities that can entice investors, that's, you just have to seize those, those opportunities where they are. Uh, and, and I think Europe 
is the epicenter at this point. I wish the United States was more proactive this way, but that's how they right. are. Right. And for, for listeners who want to have a, you know, keep an eye on the big picture developments, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we can all see the oil and gas price. We can see our fuel bills and our petrol price, you know, fulfilling our cars. But uh, for people who want to kind of get a gauge of the bigger picture developments, the geopolitical shifts that are going on, what 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 should people be watching in particular to to to, to assess that? Well, uh, I guess I would be looking at. It's a good question. Um, you know, I I I I just think you have to look at what China is doing, uh, and obviously that's not the easiest task. Uh, it's it's not the most. Uh, uh, clear, uh, transparent uh, data and, and, and analysis. Uh, it's hard to really know what's going on there. Uh, but but they consume more oil than anyone in the world. They consume more energy than anyone in the world. They emit more carbon dioxide than anyone in the world. And you know what what they do is kind of how the world's going to go. Uh, there there is a book called you know I think it's called what can China save the world? And, 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 you know, that's what I'm talking about with this, uh, with the renewable energy push and, and, and all that production there. Um, you know, really what happens happens there, I think is, 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 is where it will go. And again, how much China can compete and, and kind of dent the United States slash uh, oil producing, oil and gas producing power um, because hydrocarbons are still of 80% of the, the energy system. So, um, you know, China, China is very much a kind of a double-edged sword, and 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 I, I would I would recommend people to look to look at China and that geopolitical context because my my overarching argument is that the hegemon uh, usually determines it does determine at least in the hydrocarbon era what the dominant fuel is, and and yeah, you know, so the British with the coal and the, and the Americans with the oil, and you know, it, it, can China kind of win that geopolitical competition or at least you know draw closer on par? I mean, they, they are rising clearly. Um, that that is what I would be looking at. Great, John. Thank you very much for taking the time to chat to me. It's been a fascinating discussion and uh, lots of uh, big picture topics there to, to for all of us to look at. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the New Money Review podcast, The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like it, share it, or tell a friend about it. At our website, newmoneyreview.com, you can also sign up to our newsletter, which will keep you informed of all New Money Review articles and podcasts. If you'd like to support our work, you can do so via Patreon. Details of how to do this are on the homepage of our website. Finally, please join us soon for our next episode.